Hello and welcome to the formal review. Today, we will be having a very special episode. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hello everyone and welcome back to the formal review. This is season 3, episode 18, and I thank you all for joining me once again. So we are essentially at the halfway point of the 2020 movie season. Now, as I have done on previous seasons of the formal review, I normally would be giving out my top 5 films of the year so far. However, as this year turned out, it was somewhat more difficult to pick these films. Obviously, this year has not really gone in any way that somebody could have predicted. The coronavirus pandemic has affected cinema in such a way that more and more films were released on demand than in theaters. As such, I, as I mentioned in the last episode, watching new movies has been kind of hard for me. Mostly because older movies have been more fun to watch, and I'm not really a streaming person. I like watching hard copy movies when I'm at home. So trying to turn on Hulu or turn on Netflix to watch this film feels almost trying to watch a new show on these platforms, which I don't normally do because I have to be, I guess, looking for something specific to watch, not like scrolling through Netflix looking for something to watch. I don't, usually don't go out of my way to watch these new films because it just ends up being more difficult for me to want to invest in something like this because what if it is really bad? Whereas going to the theater, when you see these films in a theater, you're going to the theater for these movies. Even though they may be bad, you're making an event about it, which for me, that that's why I always went to the movie because you go there with purpose. You go there to watch these movies and for me to do a review on them. But at home, it just doesn't feel as, I guess, urgent to do that because I can always watch it at a later point. And I could also watch a really good movie that I've seen a few times or I've only seen once and get a really good experience out of it. I mean, that's why I love rewatching movies in general. So for me, like, trying to find a top five films of the year so far was difficult, mostly because, I mean, I've seen approximately, like, ten. So so trying to fix uh, five that are really good out of ten really is kind of difficult because it would be either a really short list of actual good films and you got to include movies in there that I wouldn't call really great films, but they're part of where they are on that list. That you have maybe you could say like five really good films and then the rest of them aren't that great. So obviously the five are going to be known. So a few weeks back I was rewatching this film and a guy commented on Twitter saying how much he loved that specific film and how it was on his top twenty-five for the past decade. So, because of that, I started thinking. I started to look back at the past 10 years and looking at films and seeing what my top 25 would be. So it took a very long time to decide on this, but I thought I'd share it with you for this special episode, in addition to giving the top three films of 2020, I shortened it from five. But before we get into this episode, I do want to give a shout out to the people that have made this year honestly better for me. Talking about movies has really kind of kept me sane during this pandemic. So I want to give a shout out to Andrea Backseat Directors, Ryan of Life of Films, and Mikey Hildago. These three men have really allowed me to have some great conversation regarding films in general. Even though we don't agree 100% of the time, it's been just a fun experience just talking to them. And I also want to give a shout out to all the other Backseat Directors team and really all the guests that have come on. Y'all have really made talking about movies even more special to me and I thank you all for that. This pandemic has really allowed me to have some soul searching while also remaining true to myself and really doing this podcast has allowed me to share my love of film with you, my followers. And I would not really be doing this if it wasn't for you, so thank you for just always continuing to listen and tuning into every episode. 
So, again, the reason for this episode was that it was such a difficult but enjoyable time to go back and look at these films and try to make a list of 25. And so I decided that because somebody inspired me to do this, it would be a really good idea to have somebody else come in and talk to me about what his top 25 films are. And because this guy really inspired me to do this, I wanted to bring him specifically on. But before we get into that, I do want to say that all of these movies, if we talk about them in okay so we're not going to talk about every single movie in detail but we're going to talk about some of them with honestly spoilers up the wazoo so if you haven't seen some of these movies i really do apologize we do try not to ruin the movie completely but there are some movies on this list that you really have to spoil to fully talk about so proceed with caution and you can skip over certain bits here and there and try to just get the list of the top 25 films but if you don't really care about that just keep listening I would like to welcome on my guest, Brett Bohan. So before this podcast, Brett and I have never really interacted before, aside from a few tweets back and forth. So this is us essentially meeting each other for the first time. So hey, Brett, thanks, man, for really coming on. Well, thank you for having me. Well, nice to officially, I guess, meet you in a way. <laughs> yeah, you too. Why don't you tell some people just who you are when it comes to just movies and stuff? Why did you start your own movie review channel and everything like that? I'm Brett. I do Bohan Reviews on YouTube and also at Bohan Reviews on Twitter. But I'm probably not going to be doing many reviews at the moment because I am attending law school starting next week. But I'm not really sure, actually, to be honest, what inspired me to start reviewing movies. I started out reviewing books on a website where I would just write books reviews and then I got into doing movie reviews from there I found that I was more interested in writing movie reviews and I just like watching movies and think that's kind of what inspired it I definitely agree with you on that That kind of is what inspired me to going into since we're talking about the best films and stuff how would you define a good movie for me what I usually look at is originality and the story and then the message and like impact that this has for like rewatchability it's not just a one-time watch like bio pick or something like that where it's a really nice story but there's no like really significant impact mm-hmm. that this movie gets 20 years down the line i mean there's reasons why some of the greatest films of all time are older films because they have lasted that test of time but then there are these some really decent films that are you see in theaters but 20 years from now we may not really remember them that's kind of why i personally am like really attached messages and the impact that it can make mm-hmm. yeah i agree i think the story is the most important part in terms of a film if you don't have a story then you don't have a movie and maybe less than its impact but for me the story has to be worth telling otherwise it's not going to be a very good film like I think I've seen countless films where I could you know go in and enjoy it on a mindless level but understand that that story really wasn't worth telling there was no reason for it and I think that's a lot of the reason why people have this sequel fatigue is I feel like a lot of sequels don't have that they don't feel like they were necessary and like there was a story there that was worth telling yeah Um, but I think there are a lot of different things that go into what makes a movie good versus what makes a movie bad. And we could probably do a whole hour-long podcast if we wanted to, just talking about the different things that make a movie good or bad. But I agree. I think it's the story at the heart. Without that, you're not going to have a good movie. Yeah, I agree. You kind of mentioned like sequels and stuff. So before we going through our top 25 films of the last decade, just to kind of preface it a little bit, how many of yours are animated films? For me, it's three. I only have one. Also on the fatigue point, superhero films. So how many of yours would be comic book movies? I also only have one comic book movie. 
Okay, and I also have three. So, and what genres appeared most in your list? I think drama is probably the most represented category. I didn't actually go through and count which ones were which, but it's probably drama followed by sci-fi and then thriller. For me, it's uh, sci-fi. A lot of, obviously, people like to analyze a film as successful as like winning Academy Awards and stuff like that. My biggest thing is that I found, looking back at it, is that I had four films that weren't really nominated at all. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I also had four films that didn't have any nominations. Yeah, and specifically, I was just on non, like, screenplay, director, writing, and acting awards. It probably goes up a little higher. I think I have maybe six then, if I don't count those. Like, if I count undercard categories, I might have six. Okay, yeah, see, I didn't, I wasn't counting those because when I was counting, I was like, there's no way I can go through uh -huh. this. And, <laughs> and, like, just, I said, I don't have the time to do that. So that's why I kind of only concentrated on those. So to not waste too much time, instead of going, because I know we talked about it, like, going one by one back and forth, I think it will be better if you give your numbers 25 to 21, just go by fives and then we'll dissect it from there. All right. For 25, I have Snowpiercer. 24, I have Inside Out. 23, I have Avengers Endgame. 22, I have Annihilation. And then 21, I have The Farewell. Okay. Endgame is the only comic yep. book movie that you have. Okay. Yep. And Inside Out is the only animated film. So both of those come out uh, really oh. early on. Oh, wow. Yeah. Similarly, for me, my number 25 is Black Panther, one of the comic book movies. Then I have Birdman, Jojo Rabbit, Inside Out, and then Mad Max. Yeah, for Mad Max was definitely one that I wanted to re-watch before I made this list because yeah. uh, it wasn't one that I was super high on when I saw it, but then I never got around to watching it again, so I don't know if it would have made this list or not. Yeah, I actually just re-watched it. That's why I kind of put it back on the list because I also remember it being good, so it's almost going to be an honorable mention for me, but then I re-watched it mm -hmm. and it has just some really, really amazing filmmaking. Probably one that's definitely one of those that if I could have seen because I didn't get to see it in the theater. I saw it at home first, so if that's one that I could have seen in the theater, probably would have helped. Yeah, it's, I would definitely like advocate for like seeing it obviously on the biggest screen possible that you can now. Obviously, that is hindered depending on what size television you have, but I think that the reason why I kind of kept it at the lower part of the list is because for me, it's a story. It was honestly a very simple story. It's basically just mm -hmm. going from A to B and then back to A. Arguably, that's it, but there's a message in there that I think is really good, and then honestly with Charlize Theron's acting. I think she does a really, really great job. And then I think like also learning about the struggles of the filming, like how bad the actual relationship between Tom Hardy and her were on, on set. And like that mm. kind of made the relationship between the two characters in the movie a lot more powerful because of that kind of anger between them at times is almost real. But then honestly, just the ride that the movie just basically doesn't start and stop from the beginning of the film to the end of it. Like it just keeps going and these extremely exhilarating and the, the mm -hmm. amount of practical effects in the movie is just another really great thing about it. Yeah, if you can rewatch it, I would definitely sometime on <laughs> small breaks between classes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with law school, that's probably not going to happen, but... <laughs> <laughs> For me, one of the things that I try to do is also similar to the sequel thing, like you mentioned. It's hard for me to always depend on a sequel 100% of the time because it ends up being like somewhat dependent on the prior film. And I think like mm -hmm. there's very few sequels that are able to kind of stand alone in that aspect, which is for me like going into the next list. I actually have three movies that are technically sequels. And I mean, Black Panther is technically a sequel too, mm -hmm. um, but I still think that movie stands alone. But I think it's a Marvel 
Marvel film and the MCU films, even though it's, I think it's really good, it's also not great cinematic artistic work. It's a Marvel movie. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it's a blockbuster. I mean, that's really great, but it's not going to be, I guess, a strong film. That's why it's at the end of the list. I agree. That's why Avengers I have down here too. Yeah, that could be another conversation. I don't want to go into the Avengers too much because that's a lot of... <laughs> yeah, so, like, I know. I, I have a feeling we could do that for a, a few of, uh, entries on this list because I did go through and, and note a few of the ones on my list that you weren't too fond of. So. Yeah. So why did you choose Avengers Endgame? You can go into as much as you want or as least as you want. We won't like open up the discussion too much about it because like you said, it can go on forever. But why is that out of the many MCU movies that we've gotten in the past 10 years, why is that one's best one for you? Well, for me, there are a couple of reasons why Endgame is my top Marvel film of this decade. It's actually my number one Marvel film in general. But I think that it comes down to this is the most vulnerable that we've seen our superheroes. They're kind of reeling after the loss. And I really enjoy that opening sequence, which I know a lot of people think is sort of what drags the film down. Those parts where we see sort of the aftermath of Infinity War, because that was sort of what I didn't care for about Infinity War was it leaves off with them having lost. But at the same time, in my mind, I knew that they were going to be able to fix it somehow in the next film. And so for Endgame to actually show us some lasting consequences to what happened at the end of Infinity War, I really appreciated that aspect of it. I think the spectacle level is really high in it, obviously. And in terms of its emotional payoffs for a lot of the characters, I think that it worked on those levels too. So for me, that's why Endgame is my number one Marvel film. No, that's definitely fair. I definitely agree with you because I remember when I first came out of Infinity War, they obviously the deaths of the characters happened and Spider-Man and honestly Black Panther, like those two movies, you have one that's the biggest financial success up till Endgame, obviously. And then you have Spider-Man they, that they just brought into this universe and Spider-Man is one of the most popular characters. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I've gotten over it and I can rewatch the movie now and have fine, but I didn't care that those characters died as much. It's just, I knew that this isn't lasting. This is going to change. Mm -hmm. From a financial standpoint, they can't kill these characters. Like, right. That's no way. exactly what I was saying. <laughs> I mean, I, like I said, I really enjoyed Endgame and honestly, it was, I think, one of the most fun experiences at the theater that I've had. One, because like when we went to go see it opening night, like I went with like, I think maybe eight people. So that was fun. And then I also saw this in 40X. Do you know what that is? Mm -hmm. So have you ever been to an amusement park where you watch a 3D movie type mm -hmm. and the seats move and stuff? Mm -hmm. That's kind of what this is like. It can, when you watch one of these movies, certain smells will come in. And with the Avengers movie, specifically they had a movement for like each Avengers character so when Ant-Man grows the seats will essentially follow him up a lot of these movies what ends up happening is they in John Wick which I debatably is not the best movie for 40x but when he gets punched or something like you feel it through the seat things like that like where 40x is almost this really new type of movie going experience mm -hmm. it feels I don't know it's it's hard to explain in words because it's like one of those things I everyone should experience if they can because it's not in a lot of theaters I think there's only like 25 in the country. I just so happen to be around one of them. I don't know what cities have it. I know LA does and New York City does and Philly does, but I don't know any of the other ones. But if like mm -hmm. for some point in your life, if you get into a city that has one, definitely recommend it. So going to that and seeing that movie, 
in that environment made that movie more memorable for me. Even if I wouldn't agree it's the best one, but that's my personal opinion. But from a movie going experience, it was so fun to go. Mm -hmm. And I think like that like escalated it even more so because I have that memory now in my head. So it doesn't matter if it's character development isn't always yeah. the strongest and it does depend on like all of those other things, that positive memory. Anyway, so I have for number 20, I have Coco, then Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and that's the end of my animated movies. Mm -hmm. Then Blade Runner 2049, Logan, and then Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. That's also the end of my superhero movies too. What about you? Uh, in 20, I have Jojo Rabbit. 19, I have Moonlight. 18, I have Whiplash. 17, I have Ida. 16, I have Parasite. Okay, this is gonna get interesting because some of those I have later on. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and you had Joker Rabbit in that last one too. So yeah. we can talk about those later uh, when they come up in your list. Yeah, uh, but you can talk about Jojo Rabbit. So why why did you put that like in this range? Jojo Rabbit for me is just such an effective movie on an emotional level in a way that I didn't expect. But really for me, I think what makes Jojo Rabbit, it just feels like a movie that shouldn't work and it does. <laughs> and I, That's true. I love all of the characters in it. And I think that all of the acting in it is phenomenal as well. You know, when I talked about it before, I said it's a movie that's a very sad movie disguised as a very funny movie. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it balances all of its tonal elements really well. I know that a lot of people disagree with that, but that's why it's in number 20 for me. Yeah, I agree. It's not a movie that I thought would work. When I first saw the trailer for it, I thought it was going to be this really odd, which it is, but kind of a Wes Anderson mm -hmm. approach. I was very skeptical about because also with Taika Waititi, I wasn't the biggest fan of him of what he did with Thor Ragnarok. I didn't like his humor very much in that. So with a movie that's not held back or it depends on how you look at it, I guess, how much impact the Marvel studio has over like an individual director. Mm -hmm. Without that, I guess, hindrance or anything affecting that, I was so worried about it because his humor for me wasn't working. But that was one of the most pleasantly surprising films that I saw in the last year. I did not expect that movie to be good in any way. Yeah, I agree with that. That's probably my biggest surprise of last year. Obviously very well written, him winning the Oscar for, I think it's original screenplay. Adapted, I think. I think. Yeah, yeah, you're right, adapted. It honestly is kind of powerful in some little bits here and there. Like I watched it for the second time with my fiance. She didn't connect the dots, that spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen it, but the shoes that are hanging were like mm -hmm. others. Like it took her a second. And then when I first saw that, that hits you like a pile. Back yeah. You like legitimately just stop and just to process that moment. And mm -hmm. with a movie like this, with an imaginary Hitler, I honestly did not even expect that moment at all. The reason why I put it at the end of my list was because for me, like not as impactful as the other films that I have, but it's a great movie. And I definitely think it should be obviously in this list. Going back to what I was saying kind of about sequels, I think that it, because this list obviously has these three really powerful sequels that I think obviously are very impactful. And going to Dawn of the Planet of the Apes one specifically, I didn't include War for the Planet of the Apes because that one is, in my opinion, not as good as this one is. And also I didn't want to like, <laughs> honestly, two eight films in this collection. I don't know about you. I'm assuming this one is on your list. Uh, no. For me, like this is when it comes to movie trilogies, that trilogy, I think is one of the strongest movie trilogies that have ever come out. And mm -hmm. I, 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 I do agree with that. Yeah. And it, I've had discussions with a few of the other people who I talked 
to online. I go honestly back and forth between, and depending on the day of me watching it, I have it as my tie for one and two between that and Lord of the Rings when it comes to the top two trilogies for me. Mm -hmm. So I think it's such a well done movie and I'm not going to get into that too much. So let's keep going on to 15 to 11 and while you start off first. All right. So at 15, I have Dunkirk. 14, I have Prisoners. 13, I have Blade Runner 2049. 12, I have The Social Network. And 11, I have A Star is Born. Okay. So I have If Beale Street Could Talk, then I have Us, then Black Klansmen, then Nocturnal Animals, and then Arrival. Again, you have some of those that are a little bit higher than me, and then also I think one that I have higher than you, but we'll get to that in a second. But the one that we matched haven't gone is Blade Runner 2049. So mm. what did you really think about that movie? I think that in terms of technical achievement, Blade Runner 2049 has the best visual effects of any film to come out in the 2010s. And there have been three years since it came out, so for that to still be the case for me, I think is extremely impressive. The cinematography is at Obviously exceptional, Roger Deakins always does an incredible job with that. I think for me, though, why this ends up making this list and being this high on it is even so far later, this still feels like a sequel that, like I was talking about earlier when we were talking about storytelling, this is a story that felt like it should be told, it needed to be told, it wasn't a story that they were just coming up with and tacking on so that they could exploit the popularity of the original. This felt like a natural progression and, and a story that actually had some sort of relevance and impact uh, in this world. Oh yeah, I definitely agree. That was one of my favorite directed films that year, and I honestly still think it's a snub that he wasn't nominated for Best Director for that movie because I think a lot of people mm -hmm. didn't view it because it's this over two hour length film right. that is a very drawn out film and it's very slow but that's honestly I think Villeneuve's style mm -hmm. a lot of films are kind of drawn out and you having Prisoners in it I mean that movie is also so very good I think that's my favorite film by him I mean I've already listed two of them in mm -hmm. my list so like I do have a high praise of him and he's come out with only four films no five well I'm English film Sicario then it was Prisoners I think then Enemy or maybe Enemy before Prisoners I think they came out the same year which is weird yeah and then Arrival then 2049 and then Dune well Dune was supposed to come out this year yeah to be determined exactly a few directors that have just almost had a perfect a resume of movies that are equal like quality of made films yeah like certain films obviously have better cinematography than others like you mentioned with 2049 and when it comes to prisoners, it's, I mean, it's Roger Deakins again in that. Mm -hmm. I would agree that Villeneuve is one of the stronger directors that has come out in the past, what, pretty much the past 10 years, pretty much. Yeah. At least mainstream knowledge. So are you excited for Dune? I, I really don't know what to expect from Dune because I, David Lynch isn't a bad filmmaker by any means. So, you know, the fact that he couldn't pull it off. It does make me concerned, <laughs> and I just don't know enough about the source material. I, I think that it's just a film that I'm definitely going to see when it comes out, and I'm going to be open-minded about it, but I also just don't know what to expect at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know much about the original stuff either. I guess I trust Villeneuve to put together at least a competent film. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
but yeah, I'm not so sure of how it's gonna go. Like I talked to somebody online, I think Rachel's Reviews. She's read the book and stuff, and we've kind of conversed. Seems to like dealing with these political aspects. I think he has done similar intertwining messages, obviously with Blade Runner specifically, he ties in obviously mm-hmm. a lot of the things from the Ridley Scott film. Right. Elaborates on it, obviously, but, and then in Arrival, he, there's a lot of, which is why I put Arrival above it, only because of sequel basis, because a lot of, well, all of my following films aren't sequels except for one, but I think a good reason to why I put it that high, but that's why 2049 is below, but I personally like 2049 more than Arrival. Blade Runner, I think, is one of my favorite science fiction films ever made. Yeah, I agree. I love Blade Runner 2049, but I think the original is just that much better. Yeah, it's when people like compare and like say, oh, 2049 is a masterpiece and everything, and arguably, yeah, technically it is better than the original, but I mean, it's the 80s. Mm-hmm. I think how much of an impact that Blade Runner has made, and honestly, 2049 wouldn't have happened without, obviously, the original, so that's kind mm-hmm. of why I more better for that reason, but as a sequel to that movie, I couldn't have asked for anything more. Right. That's one of like the most successful, like in my opinion, sequels to a movie that how many years? I don't remember the release uh, year that the original came out, but like that's the distance between those sequel is like so much different from now that so like a bunch of the Marvel movies or Star Wars or something mm-hmm. like that. That was like every two years, right? right? And then we went 20 plus years from the release of those two films. And I mean, we've had the Mary Poppins turns ones and not to go into opinions about that, but that sequel is, <laughs> no matter what the opinion is, I wouldn't say even that is successful in all aspects of it. Right? I think that there's nobody who would say that, even if you like Mary Poppins Returns, I don't think there's anybody who would say that it even comes close to comparing to the original. Right, whereas with 2049, it arguably could compare, at least I think so mm-hmm. but anyway moving on out of curiosity when it comes to some of these films have you seen the films that i'm listing i think i've seen all of the films you've listed so far uh yeah it's really interesting because for me everything on your list is either it's on my list or it just missed my list uh-huh. or it is something that i do not like at all and so that's really interesting to me that it's not like something that I, there aren't which, any on there that i'm kind of mediocre on which um, one but like like at all. I'm curious. I do not like Black Panther. I don't like Coco. I don't like Logan. I don't like Nocturnal Animals. And I don't like Arrival. That's going to be another hour if we go into too many of those. <laughs> I will say real quick in terms of why I don't like, I'll just rattle off really quick. Black Panther for me was one that I ended up rewatching, and I liked it quite a bit more on rewatch than I did on the first, but it's really a script issue for me in that one where I just think the dialogue did not work at all for me. I just had a really hard time connecting to it because of that. Coco is one that I need to rewatch because everyone loves it so much, but I just had so many sort of structural plot elements that I didn't agree with with that one. For Logan, I felt like a lot of the plot was very convenient, and it just sort of came about to get us to where that ending was. And I think the ending hits really, really hard. And I think it's a perfect ending. But I think how we get there is sort of weak. Nocturnal Animals, the ending of Nocturnal Animals made me reevaluate the rest of the film. And 
it made it worse for me having gone back to reevaluate it because I just don't think that the events that happened would lead to that ending that we get and so that's why I don't care for that one and then for Arrival I have an issue with that plot twist at the end that sort of makes you rethink everything that happens I have difficulty because it feels like all of those flashbacks are sort of what leads her to be the way she is and then for it to turn out that those aren't really what's making her the way she is I don't understand her character at that point. oh that's fair I'm actually curious because I actually rewatched Nocturnal Animals because when I first saw that movie I actually thought it was really really great and I hadn't seen it in years so I was wondering if I wanted to put it on my list or not but I also watched it with a few other people and they hadn't seen it before mm-hmm. so I'm actually because it's very fresh on my mind what specifically I guess when you learn of the ending what are your um, I guess gripes about so for me what I had an issue with essentially in terms of the ending is basically Jake Gyllenhaal's character's plan comes down to she's going to read this book she's going to have this reaction to this book which is going to lead her to want to accept my offer to come meet me, and then I'll just stand her up. But, which is sort of his revenge thing. And for me, I don't understand how he knew that would work. I didn't buy that there was an assurance that that was gonna work. And I just don't think anything in the, throughout it, built up to that ending needing to happen. Uh, okay, I see what you're saying. I can see that. I don't agree so much, but I see where you're coming from. Because I think, I mean, he, how I read into it, at least, she's kind of this big name art gallery person. And mm-hmm. so following her and kind of knowing where she is and can kind of see how her life is, he can kind of see that, mm-hmm. like, just from her being in the public eye in some aspect. But then also, like, her husband also kind of is. But on top of that, it, I think his character kind of always knew who she was in the sense of mm-hmm. like when they do the flashbacks and stuff they kind of she says why did you stop being this artist or whatever well, I think that's how they were trying to approach it mm-hmm. in that sense and kind of like he knows how she is she's clearly not happy mm-hmm. I mean for legitimate reasons her marriage is a sham and right. obviously all that but I think because he knows her so much so that he can legitimately write this extremely revenge novel and kind of prove it to her that's kind of how I looked at it but I see what mm-hmm. you're saying they don't directly talk about that, but that's how I filled it. Yeah, I think really the difference in, in an R sort of reception of this film comes down to degrees and accepting what happens as being enough versus not accepting what happens as being enough. Because I think there are a number of movies that sort of come down to do you accept that what happens is going to lead to the ending yeah. that we get? And for me, it just didn't do enough, and for you, it did. So, you know, I'm never going to begrudge someone for liking a movie I didn't like. So. I will say for anyone listening who hasn't seen this movie, the opening scene to this movie is very jarring, to say the least. So if you watch it, just be ready for that. I was not ready for that when I watched it. I forgot about it, honestly, until I watched the last (laughs) time. And I had that jarring feeling all over again. I was like, oh, yeah, right, this happened. And I'm not going to say what that is, because I suggest that everyone watch this movie. I I agree. I think it's a a movie that people should watch, because I do think it's a film that is well-made, and I do think it's a film that 
people just have really wide different reactions to and people yeah. love it and people hate it and I think it's worth checking out because you're going to feel some sort of reaction to it whether you like it or you don't. Yeah, I think for me, it's one of those movies that I think I don't hear people talking about that much. I think it's kind of brushed over. And it's one of those things that like I think it's so unique in the sense because there's three essential timelines in the movie. And there are very few movies that I think are able to intertwine them well. I think from that aspect, it's a very unique film, which is why I have it high on this list because mm -hmm. there's very few films that are like this on many different levels. Yeah, I, I agree. There's, in terms of originality, I think it's up there as one of the most original films of this last decade. Yeah, with, I think, yeah, like you said, very original. But going into the top 10, why don't you go first? All right. At 10, I have Black Swan. Nine, I have Inside Lewin Davis. Eight, I have Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Seven, I have Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. And six, I have Marriage Story. Okay. What I was saying earlier about the sequels, my number 10 is Creed. Nine, which is The Farewell, which you had earlier. Eight, I have Prisoners, also you had earlier. Seven is Annihilation. Six is Moonlight. When it comes to Creed, that being a technically a sequel, for me, the more I rewatch it, I actually don't view it as a sequel as much because it's not a Rocky sequel. I don't really think mm -hmm. Rocky is this character. It's a very different portrayal of the character that they haven't really done before. But it doesn't rely on the other films too much from a, I guess, like storytelling aspect. There's obviously the fact that like Father's not around and was killed in the ring. But if you take all the other Rocky movies out there, the previous ones, you could still tell Creed as a story. I don't think like you absolutely need Rocky IV to exist for Creed to exist. Mm -hmm. You could tell Creed without it. So that's why I keep it this high. And it, Ryan Coogler, I think he's similar to Villeneuve. He's one of like those directors that for me has had kind of a perfect direction. Obviously, we kind of disagree with that when it comes to Black Panther. Mm -hmm. But I think he has done really great direction. I think Creed is like a perfect example of that. And and certain things of the story and how that was written and the score I think is really great and it's just such a well-told story that that's why I have it so high and in comparison Creed 2 where that I think relies so much so on Rocky 4 that you can't take Rocky 4 out of the equation and tell Creed 2 it doesn't make sense I haven't seen Creed or Creed uh, 2 so uh... well you've seen Rocky 4 though right yeah I would suggest you go see Creed I think Creed is arguably the best one in that franchise I've heard great things and I want to get around to watching it. I just haven't at this point. Yeah, I, I definitely think you should. If what I said doesn't convince you, then definitely watch it on any other reason. Um, <laughs> I guess, so we kind of both had Prisoners higher in comparison to Villeneuve's other films. Why do you think that's his best film? Well, I think that Prisoners is, um, I guess you can argue that Three Billboards technically counts in this category, but I, I would argue that Prisoners is probably the best crime thriller to come out this last decade. It's got some of those elements that you sort of expect, but for me, what it comes down to is it's a very brutal film in a lot of ways, but it's yeah. Hugh Jackman's character and how he sort of devolves from this family man into this character who he is at the end of this movie and what he does and what he's forced to do and things he has to do in order to sort of get his life back. And I 
don't know that I've seen a movie that is so effectively able to present this idea of a seemingly normal person doing really horrible things and actually making that work on the screen. I think I've seen a lot of movies that try to do that, but I don't know that I've seen one that does it as well as this one. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Kind of similar to what we were talking about, like the originality thing of Nocturnal Animals. This is such a unique film, even separate from other Villeneuve films. Mm -hmm. The descent of Hugh Jackman's character, like you mentioned, is so progressive so well because at the beginning of the whole thing when it happens you think he's just this kind of family man and he just really wants to find his daughter but then like he eventually becomes this and it's revealed to the audience that he's actually this not conspiracist but like somebody who plans for like the apocalypse and has like a bunker of food mm -hmm. so it's, it's interesting how he like for the majority of the movie like he is also this very religious man and Christian and everything but then as the film reveals is that he's not really dependent on the religion because there are characters in the movie who are a little bit more like pendant on oh everything will work out fine trust and whether they say it's religious based or not but that like kind of idea of he says no i have to now take this into my own hand so it's kind of this dissection of him even though he still like says the lord's prayer toward the end he has issues saying it because he's not even that same person anymore it's interesting how this character just becomes so different it's like if we saw like the actual full progression of two-face or harvey as the main character of the story <laughs> that's a good comparison <laughs> Yeah, because it's the woman and her dead husband were just basically just doing a war on God, which essentially that's what they did. And they kind of tore this man to do this such terrible things that aren't obviously in the Christian faith. This guy who's obviously on the spectrum of some sort, you shouldn't beat the crap out of him burning him with scalding water. That's not really in any religion pretty much that would advocate for that. So yeah. it is such a really cool way to look at this film. Though it is a very hard rewatch, I've rewatched watched I think now three times no two times rewatch it's hard to rewatch because it's you know mm -hmm. how heavy everything is but you combine it with we kind of touched on earlier like the Roger Deakins cinematography the acting is obviously great and for me that's why I have it as like top of his films mm -hmm. I know a lot of people are talking really positively about bad education and Hugh Jackman's performance in that this is Hugh Jackman's best performance though yeah it's not close to me <laughs> yeah I think it's between this and Logan for me but I don't want to get into to that too much because that will open up another conversation <laughs> that we can just hold on for another time but going into the top five before we do that i think that because we kind of mentioned it earlier when it comes to the honorable mention of what would you say your three that you wish you could include in the top 25 but they just missed it so much man it's so difficult to pick what i had just left off at right at that end and i know for a fact that this list is not the same now i didn't change it from when yeah. i did my video but i know that i would switch some things around just looking at it now so just to throw some out there i guess her is was it just a miss for me i was on this list for a while but eventually dropped off to get an animated film your name oh that's a great movie and, uh, i don't even know <laughs> i don't know what i what i have right at the edge there but i'll, okay. I'll say those two yeah i think for me one of them was on your list and that's black swan because that movie is so well done and i really like the director i think he does a lot of obviously controversial stuff but I really like that about him in a sense I've only seen Requiem for a Dream twice but I love that movie but it's that similar to Prisoners it's a movie that it's very hard want to put in my blu-ray player and watch because it's just uh, it's very yeah. rough but anyway back Black Swan I think like I could re-watch that movie because it's obviously on your list so you know this but it's a very it's a well-acted movie
movie and I love the kind of dedication that the character has and also Swan Lake was uh, growing up like one of my favorite ballet stories there's so much but it, I just it, it was very hard not to include that one and then the only I guess Nolan you had uh, Dunkirk uh, on your list but for me that's not even my top three Nolan movies it's not in my top three Nolan movies either but it, it is yeah. on this list but I do have one more coming up so uh, I guess that's a well, okay. well um, my honorable mention is Inception mostly because it's such again a unique movie that no one mm-hmm. really uh, like fully analyzed you don't know if no matter to this day not one person can honestly tell you with 100% confidence what the ending is and that to me is a great story then obviously everything about that movie is really good the character development we don't know too much about all the characters which is why it's not on my list but it was hard not to put it at the end but I think when it comes to characters all of my other films I think have better character development and they're written a little like throughout the entire movie but anyway now going into the top five do you want to go first or do you want me to go first I can go first do we want to just go through our top five or do we want to go one by one and Let's go back and forth one by one because I think this since this is the top five they're more significant people who love it and there are people who hate it and for me I actually agree I read your review on Letterboxd of it and I agree that it's a film that doesn't know what it wants to be because it doesn't feel like a musical because it only is sometimes yeah. a musical I don't have the same problem about the jazz thing because the jazz thing just doesn't feel as for me it feels more like a plot element than it does actually him saying something profound about jazz for me the movie is just not about jazz enough for that to bother me but i get why that does bother Mm -hmm. some people compositionally it's such an impressive movie in terms of its direction its editing in terms of its cinematography and production design just so many amazing things in that i think it's performances are really incredible. I know that there are people who disagree about that and I know their singing isn't very good. I get that, but I think that everything else about their performances does work and it's an interesting exploration of these characters and what eventually they have to decide in order to go on and, and live the lives that they want to live so that's why it's here for me but i understand why yeah like i won't it. go into too much about it because we've already spent so much time talking but in short i yeah. for the reasons that you mentioned but i think like that's my main thing is that it doesn't know what it wants to be because it's and i have a gripe when it comes to just musicals on any aspect of a movie of when they select somebody who barely knows how to sing and that's something that just bothers me about mm-hmm. all musicals and i don't think that's the strongest point of a movie but then why try to make it a musical but then don't focus on that right. that's part of the main thing of a musical because honestly you're right when it comes from the production side of it it has some great production value there's some really great filmmaking there the colors that they choose in the movie are really vibrant obviously but also it works for mm-hmm. the type of movie and I think from that aspect it's a definitely a decent movie I haven't seen it since and I really have no inkling to do so because, <laughs> because, because of my understand. issues with the story and it's hard for Mm -hmm. me to want to rewatch a movie that to me at least doesn't have a good story but I won't say that it's a bad movie there are a lot of things that didn't work but I won't rant on that movie too much more so my number five is actually a movie that came out last year and it's Queen and Slim have you seen that movie? I have Uh, we have some similar responses to each other's fifth I do not like Queen Uh, and Slim why is that? because I I haven't seen your review on that but why? I think that 
For me, it sort of comes down to character decision making and what the film has to say. On the first part, in terms of character decision making, I think if you swap what the two main characters tell each other to do, the movie works better. And I just think that Jodie Turner-Smith's character in particular is written really poorly to the point where she keeps advising some really poor decision making and they just keep following it. And I had problems with that. More so, I just wasn't sure what the film was trying to say about, you know, about racism and police brutality and police violence. I felt like I knew what it was trying to say and then something would happen. And then I was like, okay, is it trying to say the opposite of that? And so I sort of became confused exactly where it was going. And I don't think that confusion ever really settled. Okay. How I was kind of interpreting the movie is, in a way, it's kind of comparing the Bonnie and Clyde story. Obviously, like they kind of marketed mm -hmm. it as that, but I think there's a lot of comparisons to it that are a little bit more within the obviously the racial issues that are being discussed in the movie. But I think it's not as obvious about things. So, like obviously, you have these two people who created the situation and in the two stories that make them go on the run. But when you look at how Bonnie and Clyde, I mean, they were actual criminals and they actually murdered people and mm -hmm. they're essentially like mm -hmm. extremely glorified as almost relationship goals at this point. I mean, there's a Jay-Z and Beyonce song that is called Bonnie and Clyde and we look into them as a positive role model. When you look into the history, hundreds of thousands of people showed up for these criminal funeral. Whereas in this story, when you kind of, when you switch the, the race aspect and they weren't criminals, they had a, obviously a very unfortunate situation, but because of how society, and this is also, I, I don't want to go into the actual topic too much, but how society portrays people of color in general, especially the mm. court systems and everything like that, it ends up switching it and they're not viewed in a positive light. And that ends up being at the core of it all, it ends up being a the point of it all to me is that you compare the two stories and you see how one, they're essentially innocent because it just was self-defense, but they can't even defend themselves because of with Jodie Smith's character, Queen, like, if I remember she's a DA. I think that to me, she knows how the system works so that's why she was the conscious of making decisions because some of the times i will she didn't make intelligent decisions but she's also making it based on what her experience has taught her and that's why I, I think it worked as a movie and that's how i looked at it as kind of a comparison because even those movies there's been i think like two or three bonnie and clyde renditions mm -hmm. but those movies were people love those movies they got academy awards this movie was one of those movies that didn't get nominated for anything and you may disagree with me on this but i mm -hmm. think like some of the cinematography I think in the movie is really, really, really good. Mm -hmm. There's one scene that I still remember to this day when I saw it in theaters is how Queen's character is wearing her leopard skin dress and they're in the bar. And then like she's standing in front of this mural or something that has like a bunch of tigers but she's wearing this leopard print so like how i looked at that was just she's a cat of prey that is around other cats of prey she's in this bar that is has a lot of uh, african americans in it but she's still a standout because of what everything else is going on obviously in the movie and the people there know it she's hiding herself as in this area of these other cats of prey from a comparison point of view and i thought that was such a cool directional choice i'm not saying she was the greatest director of all time or anything like that but for me there was so much like really well done 
on things about the film. Mm -hmm. And for me also, the writing by Lena Waithe, I think she has proven time and time again that I think from the writing perspective, she always puts out a really good story. Again, based on what you just said, I'm not sure if you would always agree with me on that. But <laughs> again, for me, I think that her writing, she's one of the people, who, if I see that she wrote on a movie, I would go to it just for her writing. Mm -hmm. I do want to say that I like, I, I don't think that nothing works about it. I think even in terms of the writing, I really love the love story between Daniel Kaluuya and Jodie Turner-Smith. Yeah. I love that aspect of it. I think that's done really, really, really I well. I agree. And I agree. I think Melina Matsukas does some really interesting things with the direction. The cinematography is really interesting. Even if it's not always my style, I do think it's very different and unique. It's so stylized and you know that it belongs to her. I do like a lot of things about it, but it felt like it was trying to do so much for me, at least, that it became really muddled in exactly what it was trying to say. You know, I can appreciate your interpretation, but I still just, I do have some issues in terms of the story but yeah that's fair i would as with all movies is that like i always suggest going back and rewatch. i again you're going into law school so take this with as much as you can but <laughs> i think like watch it was kind of in that mindset and i think it's at least more understandable but everyone's mm. different in how you view that but continuing on with my number four this is kind of the, I think, what ended up actually pushing for this entire thing to happen. And I know this movie is definitely higher for you, Ex Machina. And that's, yes, yeah. So again, this is the movie that kind of made us do this whole thing. And for me, like the reason why I, I've always wanted to rewatch it again, I just hadn't had the chance. And with my new setup, how I have it, it was the perfect time to do it. And then obviously I put it out there and mm -hmm. you replied. And then we got just talking about that. This movie to me is such, when it comes to sci-fi, the message, it has four actors in it basically yeah three. basically three and somehow is more compelling than a, a movie that has double that amount and it relatively is just kind of a, a story that's just so well told and i think you can go into that a little bit more when we get into wherever it is on your list what's your number four my number four is cold war i don't know if you've seen this but it's a yes, Polish I have seen film. that. i saw that whenever it came out i don't remember it was 17 or 18. it okay. was 18. And everybody was pouring their love on Roma at the time. And for me, the best black and white foreign language film of 2018 is Cold War, but I don't know how you feel about it. For me, this is my second film by Pavel Pawlikowski on this list, actually. I had Ida earlier, which was the 2014 Best Foreign Language Film winner. For me, I think I really do like the love story that exists at the center of this. I like love stories. Mm -hmm. I've got several on here, but... And I think this one is sort of the most complicated one. And this is a film, for me, it's a film about boundaries, I think. And that's why it gets that title, Cold War, where there are just so many obstacles that exist between these two characters and their relationship sort of mirrors this idea of the Cold War and Poland being sort of split away from the rest of the world as part of the Soviet Union. And for me, what Pavel Pawlikowski does so well is create these stories that have sort of these simple wrappings in terms of, you know, this is a love story. Ida is sort of a story about a girl who's learning about who she actually is and taking those to say something really large about the social situation of his home country of Poland and I think it's really impressive his ability to take something boil it down to such a simple story and then present it in a way that has really large connotations in terms of its ideas toward his social beliefs. No that makes sense yeah I thought when it comes to the love story yeah I think the characters I thought were obviously very acted well and I think like, I liked the environment that they were in and it did tell a really good story I think my issue with the film was that I didn't feel 
well, and this is, I haven't seen the film in ages, but I think the people in it were just kind of not treating themselves very well. So I didn't see a reason why they were together. So I, I think it just felt really long to me because I didn't couldn't get attached to these characters. I get that entirely. It's actually something that I sort of talked about when I reviewed this. I did a written review that I don't think exists anymore. But when I talked about it, I say this is a film where I think character decision making doesn't always make sense in terms of what we would think that they would want to do or think that they should do. But I think it's more of a Pawlikowski showing that in the end, they're meant to be together, but there's always something that's forcing it so that they can't be. And that okay. was, was part of it. It's just they're, they're in these different positions and these different headspaces at times. You know, he's in Paris and he's successful. You know, she just wants to be with him, but he's got all of these other things. And then, you know, earlier, she's got all of these things going on and he doesn't really have anything. And it's just, there's always some conflict there that makes it so they can't be mm -hmm. together. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a well-made movie. It's, I don't think I'm going to rewatch that movie, but if I did, I said, <laughs> I'll try to look at it from that angle. But going into number three. My number three is Ex yeah. Machina, uh, which you just talked about. I echo everything you said. I love how small it is yeah. and how it just all takes place in this one location. And it still always feels like a sci-fi film. It never felt like it was not that, even though it's in this small location. Yeah. Ex Machina is probably my most rewatched film yeah. of this last decade. It's just a film that every time I watch it, I find something new in it to appreciate in terms of its storytelling, because I think it's a story that, in, especially with its screenplay, it's a story that you can look at and you can really, if you want to, take each of the characters and look at them as the protagonist and watch it in a different way every time you watch it and try to understand each character's motivation and how they could be the hero of that story. You know, I think for it to be able to have so many different watches and, and then for that ending to be so up to interpretation and there are just so many things about it that I think, you know, I've watched it probably eight or nine times and I've just been able to watch it a different way each time and for a film to be able to have sort of a new feeling experience every time you watch it, I don't know that there are many films like that. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think it's a small scale of it, but also it doesn't feel like a small scale movie. If you like compare like a, a farewell to it, that's a small scale movie. Like it's just a family story. It, it's a great film. Don't get me wrong. That's why it's in my top 10. Like, like that's one of the movies that still makes me cry because I'm half Japanese and there was a connection that I had with that film. But that movie is small in that aspect. And then when you put Ex Machina there, you said it's basically three people we are watching here. So it's small, but then and the impact that it made, that where it goes with the ending, it makes it a bigger movie because how like obviously technology and how that affects our lives currently and it makes the movie bigger than it is portrayed mm -hmm. on screen, which I love that aspect of it. And so like, I know we have the director's other film is Annihilation. I love Annihilation too, but I think in comparison to the two, what really works about Ex Machina is that it's not relatively speaking a too complicated of a story. Whereas Annihilation, mm -hmm. as good as it is, it's one of those movies where I'm still trying to interpret everything about it. And I've now watched it, I think, mm. twice after I saw it in theaters. And I'm still like working on how I interpret every choice that's made in that movie. Whereas Ex Machina, the first time I mm -hmm. saw it, I knew I loved it. I so agree. it's like you can have anyone watch Ex Machina and not really get lost anywhere along the way until you start talking about the ending. Whereas Annihilation, somebody could easily get lost. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think Annihilation is definitely
definitely the less accessible of the two, especially with the way that the film goes with yeah. the ending. I think it's just one that not a lot of people are going to be able to respond to as well as X-Men. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but I do a lot of Annihilation as well, and that one is quite low on this list, which is sort of what made me think of this list would switch a lot, because I did just rewatch Annihilation, and it reminded me how much I love it, so mm-hmm. it would probably be higher on this list <laughs> if I were to redo it. But So then going into my number three, you kind of talked about it earlier, or you mentioned it earlier in your list, is last year's Parasite. I legitimately haven't rewatched it since I saw it for the first time, and that's not because of not wanting to. In fact, I actually do want to, but I'm honestly waiting for the best way to rewatch it. I don't want to, this kind of gets into how I am about movie watching in general. I like watching things on hard copy discs. I was originally going to try to get it on 4K, but then I'm not sure if you follow this at all, but the Criterion collection came out. The Criterion copy looks yeah, amazing. Yeah, and I really want to see the black and white version of the movie because I hadn't seen the Mad Max one. That's also another one I want to buy eventually. But with Logan specifically, with that mm-hmm. black and white version, I definitely think that that's a superior film. When I put Logan on this list, mm. that's the version of Logan that I mean. And there's a lot of little bits and pieces of why that's true, why I think it's a better film, but I won't go into it. But in short, it just tells a much more gruesome story. And that's why I really want to watch Parasite, but in that way and see if it tells a different contrast story. But for me, Parasite, you mm. look at what the overall message is. And I know you had Snowpiercer on this list too. I think the classism mm-hmm. thing is something that he's used in a lot of his films. The way that this classism message is told in this story is so well done, but also as a really great film because of how certain things are done. You have a horror family who like have to walk uphill the rich family's house. Mm-hmm. And then when they walk up from the downstairs of where the other servant was, there's little things like that when it comes to telling this message in this story. You're intertwining your message into it and then not only just trying to be subtle about it within the telling of the story, but also putting that message into the way you make the movie. To me, I haven't seen a film that has done that. I don't think ever. I can't recollect a message that was told within the way the movie is staged. It's one original and then the characters, you attach yourself to them very well. The message is really good. Direction, obviously, is really good. And I was very happy when it won stuff. For me, I agree with everything you said. I think that it's a film where everything in it matters. Every choice, every shot, every, you know, every line of dialogue, every Thing about it is important and I think that there are very very few films that can say that. It was a film that I was sort of mixed on when I left the theater same with Inside Blue and Davis which I have at nine and they're just films that have kind of, the more I've thought about them arisen. The thing for me about Parasite is I just had some issues with how it ended and sort of character decisions that I just didn't quite connect with me because it is still on my top 25 yeah. list so it's clearly one of my favorite films but I just had a few things that just didn't quite work as well for me as maybe they could have, and that's where I feel with it. But there's just so many things about it that really are probably perfect in terms of filmmaking. Yeah, All right, so what's your number two? Number two, you talked about this one a little bit earlier, is Inception. For me, I understand that Inception is actually probably not as good of a film as some of the films lower on this list 
but one of the things for me that lands it here is sort of its personal importance to me because when I saw Inception in 2010, this was sort of when I realized that I loved to talk about movies and this was a movie that everyone was talking about. And so at the time, I just remember this being a really important film because that was when I started talking to everybody about movies and really everybody wanted to talk about this movie in depth in a way that I really liked to talk about movies. So for me, that aspect of it is something that I can't separate, and that's probably boosting it quite a bit higher on this list than it would be. But also, I love heist movies, and this is a great heist movie. And I think what Nolan does, and this is sort of what you were talking about before in terms of its character development, Nolan's films aren't personal in a lot of ways, and I think that's what a lot of people love in the great films, is sort of the personal aspects of them and the small personal themes that they tackle. But I think that Nolan is very interested in very macro concepts like time and memory and dreams and inception and I think just those explorations are really interesting even if they're not done on that same sort of smaller in-depth way that sort of the great films do talk about them in some ways. Like with Parasite where Bong Joon-ho is talking about social aspects it's just a, an amorphous concept that no one likes to look at and that's sort of why Inception works so well for me. Yeah and that's a hundred percent Okay, that's why I definitely think Inception is definitely number two. My number one being Prestige. That's the epitome of Nolan's storytelling ability. It's creative. The idea of what the Prestige, again, it's something that's tied in. It's not a message of a movie like Parasite is, but it's still the idea of the movie is put into the story of the Prestige. You have the three acts of the movie, so you have the three acts of the magic trick. I thought that was ingenious. And Inception, I think, does that to an extent, but I don't think it's as clear, which is why I don't have it as number one but that's one of the movies I love rewatching I don't know how many times I've rewatched that movie I saw that movie in theaters I think three or four times because of how much I liked it and you're right that was like similarly a time when everyone had seen the same movie and wanted to debate about it there aren't very many movies that do that to an entire society like you have obviously Avengers Endgame even if you're not the biggest MCU film because it's pop culture you're gonna watch it just to see what everyone's talking about but no one in 10 years is going to debate if Iron Man actually dies no one's gonna be thinking of the ending and trying to decipher something about it you know Whereas like this, to this day, people are still talking about was he in reality or was he back asleep? No one knows 100% for sure except for Nolan, who most likely knowing him, he probably won't reveal it ever. I've gotten to a point of just accepting it. My interpretation of the ending is at least is whatever decision he made, that's his reality now. It doesn't matter if he's actually asleep versus not. Based on that one guy who just says, After a while it becomes the only way you can dream. The dream has become the reality. Who are you to say otherwise? I've got to give it in because I don't think we're ever going to find out after. And maybe, honestly, Owen may not know. And he just was just wanted to put an idea of something into our heads, which is, again, the Inception thing, and then make us talk about it. That's all he wanted to do. I don't know if that we're ever going to get a full answer to that. So I do agree that Inception is phenomenally made film. I love that movie a lot. Great actor. My number two is also a kind of recent movie, but Jordan Peele's Get Out. I mentioned Us earlier. The more I 
rewatch the movie, the more I recognize the genius behind it. I watched it earlier today. I wanted to double check. I was like, this is my number two film. I wanted to make sure, is this a valid point to put it this high? And I rewatched it and I noticed something completely new that I didn't recognize before. And the scene where he's giving the tour of the house and he is kind of talking about how bad it looks and how cliche it looks to have a white family having black people work for them. But then it's kind of revealed in that it's actually his parents. We hired Georgina and Walter to help care for my parents. When they died, I couldn't bear to let them go. But then Chris, kind of Kalua's character, says, oh no, it's okay. And he's just, then the father says, I really don't like how it looks. It was kind of like a illusion that he doesn't like how they look as black people. You know, like, and it's just wild that to me, that's such a small line that I didn't notice the many times. Like, in each time I rewatch it, there's just something new to come across. And everyone says that about, obviously, their favorite movies, that they're either good or they're kind of, they're just movie you really enjoy. But you notice little Easter eggs. But that, to me, is a little bit more than just an Easter egg. That's something that's foreshadowing, but hidden within the dialogue. And again, it's something that when you tie something into the structure of how a film is made when it comes to the script and what the overall message is of the movie to tie something to a small piece of dialogue that's why that movie is just so well made obviously well acted and i don't know your opinion of it but i definitely think it's better than us and to me it's not even a horror movie anymore it's just like a thriller now like and it's just i'm watching it and i'm loving every moment of it aside from what they're doing in the movie obviously but uh, more just along the lines of just how the film is made everything just storytelling about it and I guess there's obviously a bias here because this is a kind of recent movie but at the same time when I can't pinpoint anything that I personally really dislike about that movie anymore. Get Out is probably on this list. I don't actually have it on this list but it's a film that I haven't watched since I saw it in theaters and so I didn't really have a clue where I would actually slot it in um, and I wanted to go back and rewatch it but I just never did before I made my list. I agree with everything you said. I think Get Out is, is really phenomenally made film. I, I think in terms of just its attention to detail and its composition and its writing, it is a superior film to us. I do think that there was just something about us in terms of its story and it's sort of the creative uniqueness of what it was doing that I found just a little bit more compelling, but I think Get Out is done slightly better. So I have things that I like more about us, but in general, I think Get Out is definitely his better film. Yeah. I don't know where I would put it and so I guess that could be one of my honorable mentions. It would be somewhere on this list if I had rewatched it but I don't know where it would be. Yeah, I definitely suggest, again, suggest what as with all these. Yeah. In your thousands of hours when in law school to watch a movie, <laughs> definitely. Maybe I'll watch it this but, week yeah. before classes start. So... I'll do my number one. I read your review for this one too because it's my favorite film, obviously, of the last 10 years, so I wanted to know what you thought of it, and I know that this is one that you aren't nearly as high on as I was, but my number one film is... Manchester by the Sea. I think that there is not a film this last decade that captures speech in a way that feels as real as Manchester by the Sea. I think every line of dialogue in this film feels like something that you might hear someone say on the street, which is not something that you hear a lot in movies. There's that elevated speech that comes in film dialogue a lot. And I think because of that, so much of Manchester by the Sea is conveyed in subtext instead of the actual text of the film. And, you know, you sort of have to pick up 
these different elements of the film based on the direction and based on how the actors are delivering their lines and the situations of the film. And I think it's this realistic feeling portrait of a man who is just burdened so much by grief and, and loss. And for me, I don't think that there's a better script, especially of its dialogue from this last decade. And it's not an easy film to watch for sure. It's a heavy subject matter, but I think it handles it really well. It's actually fairly darkly comedic as well on top of that. And I think that it's the best film of the decade. That's fair. I think when it came out, everyone was hyping this movie up. And I think I watched it and it kind of got destroyed by people were saying it's the best film ever back then. And (laughs) I watched it and I didn't think that. So I I think my biggest thing that I kind of have talked about this in the rural movies is that I didn't feel like there was a message going on in the story or like a theme to make it memorable movie. It worked as a decently made film, but I don't have any like want to rewatch this movie mm-hmm. for any reason. I mean, you make valid points, but I think for me, the story, it's fine and it does what it needs to do, but it wasn't compelling for me to go back and rewatch it again. Honestly, I one thing I remember not liking is, and I still don't know why she was nominated, was Michelle Williams. I didn't think that her acting in that movie was that phenomenal. I mean, she has that kind of one scene, if I'm remembering. Mm-hmm. I've said a lot of terrible things to you. I know you never, maybe you don't want to talk to me. Let me finish. My heart was broken, but I know yours is broken too. I said things that burning to help for what I said to you. I'm just sorry. I love you. To me, that was one really slow scene. And to me, they're nominating based on that scene. I don't know. I thought that was just, I don't know. There wasn't a lot there for me. It didn't grab me in any way, at least in the sense of just, I guess, compelling story. I will say like with Casey Affleck, I thought, I mean, a lot of people online I know were bashing him Mm -hmm. for his obviously controversial issues. And I'm not saying that he's not without problems when it comes to that. But when it comes to his actual acting in the movie i think he does a really good job and it's really interesting especially with his career i like first time i ever remember seeing him is in the american pie movies just inherited the bible this book that uh, some guys brought back from Amsterdam, and each year it got passed on to one each student who was worthy now it's full of all sorts of stuff that guys have added over the years you have to keep it a secret and return it at the end of the year all right so now you know I have uh, not seen American Pie uh, in a long time, so I don't remember anything about it. I'm not going to advocate to watch those because those are very dated movies, that is for sure. Like, that's the first role that I remember Casey Affleck being in. And back then, I make the connection that it was Ben Affleck's younger brother. Mm-hmm. And then and then I obviously saw Goodwill Hunting, and he's in that. The head is double you shut the f up. I know what you wanted. I was there. You didn't get a f- sandwich. You mean you a sandwich? I bought it. Sorry, how much money you got? See like how much he's kind of grown to this starring actor, just his brother, and he's grown a lot. Yeah, you definitely like it more than I do, but I can see why you like it. So my number one has a lot of, like, in case you didn't know this, I talk kind of about like my favorite director, that Martin Scorsese. And for me, he's just always been one of the best storytellers of all time and consistently good, even when he ventures out in kids' films with Hugo. Yeah, Hugo. So he always tells a very decent story. And then obviously he 
he has his very adult movies. I don't know why people think this is his greatest movie, but Wolf of Wall Street, as good as that movie is, I don't think that's one of his top made movies. I think I was really worried honestly, that was about to be your number one pick because uh, it's not a film that I'm very high on. So. Yeah, I like it, and it has really good acting, obviously, by Leonardo DiCaprio. And it's an interesting story, to say the least, but it's definitely not his best film. And I still also think The Departed, even though that's the film that won him the Best Director Award, that's not his best film either. And I think he did a lot more compelling stuff early on. But my favorite movie by him is Raging Bull. But this one is so close now, the more I rewatch it. It's silence. Mm-hmm. I have to not me, seen it. I own this film and I still haven't seen it. And I, don't, I have no excuse. <laughs> yeah, that movie, I think it's just so powerful on so many levels. The story is engaging and it's just a well-written story. Obviously, it's not his story. Like, he adapted it from a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't read the book, but it's a book my mother indicated for me to read. I just, I'm not a book reader. I'm more of an audiobook person, so I haven't mm-hmm. read it. After I saw it for the first time, I looked it up how accurate it is to to the book's meaning because the book is one of the most controversial books come out of Japan and how the movie approached it because Scorsese had, was working on this movie for years. The book came out I think sometime in the 80s. He loved it then but didn't feel he could make it until 2000, I'm assuming 2015, 2014 whenever they started filming and that's because of like intense aspects that it deals with faith and everything that surrounds that and it does focus on the Christian faith specifically mm-hmm. but I think it's this idea of faith and I won't spoil everything for you but how it essentially can be looked at from no matter what actual religion, whether it's a Abrahamic religion or a multiple deity religion, the idea of faith and what that means to people is very complex. And I think this movie attacks that extremely well. And and it can actually even be kind of applied to, not to go into too much of theological conversations, but kind of can also be looked at from an atheist point of view, because that's, in my opinion, that's kind of religion in some aspects as well. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to be of the Christian faith to understand what's going on in this movie. And that's one thing that I really love about it. Even though it's obviously focused in that, you can go into this and I don't know what your beliefs are and you don't have to say what it is. That's not where I'm trying to go with this. But I think such a great movie because of the cinematography, I think is beautiful in this movie. Scorsese has just done such a really great job at directing it. And honestly, I mean, you own it, so you can obviously look at it. But for people who don't know much about this movie, the cast is great. You have Liam Neeson, you have Andrew Garfield, you have Adam Driver and all three of them have really great scenes. They all have these, honestly in my opinion some best acting by all three of them in this movie, in their careers. Garfield obviously is more known for his Hacksaw Ridge movie, Mm -hmm. but I think this movie really shows his acting ability. And it's same thing with Driver. He obviously, most recent stuff with you mentioned in your list, Marriage Story, like that's, aside from Star Wars (laughs) not really great acting in Star Wars But this made me more of a fan of him than any of the other movies that I've seen with him in it. Because he has some really great scenes and the characters are just so well developed. You understand where everything is coming from. And I would seriously, if you have a chance, honestly, go watch this movie. If you like Scorsese in any way, this movie will satisfy that. And it's really a film that honestly failed at the box office because when you watch the movie, I don't see any way how to market this movie. 
because it's about faith in Japan. How do you market that to like a general audience? I don't know <laughs> because it's not a biopic by any means, and it's a historical piece, but it's also not a true story. And but then there's the complexity of what it's dealing with. It's not a marketable movie, which is why it failed at the box office. But if anyone is looking for like a really great film to watch and just honestly just analyze the meanings behind it, this movie to me is just such a phenomenal thing to rewatch and watch again and just enjoy amazing filmmaking from an amazing director that really has had, a, I think, a really great career. Well, I'm sold. Um, uh, I'll probably watch it as soon as we get off this call. So <laughs> I'd love to see what you think about it now that we're done with the top 25, because the original point of this was to be the best films of 2020, but we won't discuss them. We'll just name it, give your general opinion of it, and then we'll move on and then we'll finish up. <laughs> Three, I have The Assistant. I think it's just a really mature, really effective way of showing this idea of how, you know, sexual assault from a, uh, and sexual harassment from a person in a position of power can become sort of this routine thing that pervades in an office. At two, I have Weathering With You, which is Makoto Shinkai's follow-up to your name. I think it's just a really well-told love story with all of these connective tissue elements that run from beginning to end of the film so that everything feels important sort of on the same level as Parasite. Not quite as well done as Parasite, but in a way similar to that. And then number one, I have Bad Education. I truly believe that it is the best version of this story that could have been told. It really understands the complexity of the situation and the complexity of the characters in the situation and how even when people do terrible things, that doesn't always make them into monsters. And we just get a really strong understanding, I think, of these characters and their motivations. Yeah, that's fair. You actually had one film that we overlap on on that. So my number three is Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. I thought this movie was extremely powerful. The story that it tells is very good, but I think it's definitely worth a checkout. So then my number two is another one of my top directors is Spike Lee and The Five Bloods. I have to love that movie. movie. And it honestly hurts that I have to put a Netflix movie on that <laughs> I think they had some great acting in it. Spike Lee does some really great direction as he has done in past films. And my number one is weathering with you. And I agree with everything that you said. I did a podcast review on all three of these. Anyone listening or if you, Brett, want to go listen to them, you can feel free. Mm -hmm. Weathering with you was one of the movies and talked about earlier, the 40X thing. That to me was one mm -hmm. of the best uses of 40X I've ever been in because how it corresponds with the story. Because one of the things with 40X that they do is they add smells and weather stuff. If it's raining or if there's an intense wind or sun or whatever, those things are added into the movie watching experience. So for me, that was just such a great movie to watch in 40X and was, I think, one of the first movies I saw this year. To wrap things up, I was a big fan of James Lipp's show Inside the Actor's Studio. For those who don't know, at the end of every episode, he would ask a list of 10 questions that was originated by the French television personality Bernard Pivot on his show Apostrophes after the Proust questionnaire. And so to honor his memory, I'm going to continue that. Now my questions aren't the exact same, twist them a little bit so you get to know a little bit of my guests at the end of each episode. And some of them are a little bit fun. So let's get started. Coronavirus aside, how often do you watch movies at the theater? Before the coronavirus, I would go. I had uh, basically it 
it was a local theaters thing that they did, but it was essentially the same thing as the AMC's A-List. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but you get to see yeah. three movies a week with that. And so I had that. So I would generally go about three times a week to the movie theater to see a movie. Nice. How often do you watch movies at home? It's on occasion. I don't know. I don't. It wasn't nearly as often as I'd go to the theater, I guess, is maybe once a week. Who, actor or director, will make you watch a film no matter what? For director, it's Christopher Nolan. But I have a lot of directors, I think. If Alex Garland decides he wants to come back and do more movies, I am going to be there day one for that, too. Uh, I don't have that same thing with the actor, though. I don't know that there are any actors who I'm like, oh, that actor's in it, so I'm, I'm going to go watch it. Do you prefer digital or hard copy movies? I prefer digital, and I know that's sort of a sacrilege, I guess, um, and for cinephiles, but here's the thing. For me, I hate moving, and I hate packing. If I have a huge collection of movies, that is more that I have to pack. So I prefer to just have a digital copy that I can get on and watch whenever I want. And don't have to get up off the couch and put it into a DVD player. Don't have to have a DVD player. Uh, I can just watch it whenever I want. What related movie profession would you like to attempt if you could? Screenwriter, I guess, probably. I did do some acting in college. I, I was in a couple of musicals and a couple of plays in college. So I do enjoy acting. Don't know if I would want to do it as a profession but probably screenwriting. What would you say is your favorite movie or movie genre? Well, my favorite movie is definitely Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, it's just a hugely important to me personally, and I also just love the movie. I think it's really well made and really well done. But I don't know what I would say my favorite genre is. It's probably drama. I do love sci-fi, I do love thriller. What is your least favorite movie or movie genre? Hmm. Well, my least favorite movie this year, I can say for sure. I don't know what my least favorite all time is, but my least favorite this year is The Wrong Missy, which is on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, don't. Um, it's in my review, I said about it. Sometimes I think about if I talked about a film that I made, like I talk about some of these films that I watch, I would feel really bad about it. But if The Wrong Missy were the movie that I made, I would deserve it. Uh, and so, <laughs> best Batman actor? Hmm. All right. I think that this is a difficult question to answer. I think that Christian Bale, honestly, is the best Bruce Wayne, and I know that a lot of people feel this way, I think he's probably the best actor to have played Batman, and I think he really does a lot of the nuances of playing that sort of difficult character that Bruce Wayne is really well. I think in terms of physical presence, Ben Affleck is the best Batman, but I also think in terms of screen portrayal, Ben Affleck is the worst Batman. So. Um, I'll probably go with Christian Bale, but I don't know. Is it biopic or biopic? It's biopic. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear said to you when you arrive at the pearly gates? Hmm. Wow, that's a tough question. Uh, I don't know if I have an answer for that. I've never really thought about that. Um, you know, the stress is over. <laughs> you don't have to worry about <laughs> law school anymore, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> All right, that ends this episode. I know we've been recording, I think, for over two hours at this point. Definitely yeah. going to have to edit some of this down. Um, no, 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 don't apologize. This is honestly a great conversation. I love talking about movies in general, so just being able to yeah. talk about this with somebody who appreciates that as well, it's been a pleasure, honestly. But before we go, kind of mentioned it already earlier, but just to reiterate, if people want to reach out to you to discuss 
watch these movies, uh, check out your reviews, just talk to you on social media, whatever. How can they do that? Find me on Twitter at Bohan Reviews, B-O-H-A-N Reviews. And then I also have videos on YouTube. It's also the channel name is Bohan Reviews. If you're interested in hearing more thorough thoughts about some of the movies I talked about today, I do have a video on that. So it's more in-depth about some of the lower numbers for sure. Again, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. It was nice officially meeting you kind of for the first time. Um, So so take care and hopefully law school won't be too stressful. Hopefully you stay somewhat or be able to continue talking about movies, though most likely less. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Definitely. Uh, But thank you uh, again for having me. Thanks for... Yeah, we'll speak on Twitter and stuff. Peace. See ya. So let me know what y'all think of the movies we listed, what films you would have placed in, what films you would take out, and what films are your favorite of 2020. Hit me up. Let me know. Hit me up on social media. The Formal Review is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. The URL is all the same. It's at The Formal Review. Feel free to also check out BackseatDirectors.com, where I write with the big team movie reviews and also other editorial articles. Again, that's BackseatDirectors.com. Please also subscribe to the podcast on your favorite service. It is on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and really, honestly, anywhere you can find podcasts. Also, I'm always wanting to grow and improve, so feel free to leave a review on your favorite service. I see the numbers, and I do this for you all, and I want to keep it entertaining. I really appreciate everyone supporting me by listening and talking about movies with me online. For those who have contributed financially, I really thank you for supporting me in that way. For those who want to financially contribute, please go to anchor.fm forward slash the minus sign formal minus sign review and click support this podcast and I thank you very much in advance and any donation is appreciated thank you all for tuning in once again and until next time well I won't say it's in movies but be safe wash your hands and take care everyone thanks for tuning into this episode of the formal review we hope you'll join us again